This is an ABC podcast. I know heaps of people who drink too much. I probably know more adults who drink too much than adults who don't drink too much. Drinking alcohol frequently, or what we like to call hitting the piss, is completely normal, particularly here in Australia. It's the way people socialise, celebrate, commiserate. Think about it, after work drinks involves drinking. Going to a friend's house for dinner, who's bringing the wine? Studies show that while Australians on the whole are drinking less, women in their 40s and 50s are the women most likely to be drinking in a way that's damaging to their health. The latest national survey by the government into how much we drink here in Australia found that women in their 40s and 50s are more likely to drink to risky levels than their daughters. I suppose if we all close our eyes and imagine what does somebody with a drinking problem look like? This is Sally Hunt. She's the psychologist and alcohol researcher that we spoke to in the first season of Ladies. I think we have a fairly clear picture of somebody at one end of the spectrum having a couple of symptoms like craving, Mm -hmm. uh, withdrawal, tolerance, which means you're able to drink a lot more to get the same effect that you used to get before. And then at the other end, you might have the picture of someone who drinks in moderation, who doesn't appear to have a problem, who is quite capable of going without a drink. And then there's a whole grey range in between. So have you ever thought about which zone you're in? And if you are in that grey range, which I think lots of us are, how can you be genuinely honest about how much you drink? And what can you do if you want to cut back or even stop drinking? I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we still need to talk about booze. In season one of Ladies We Need to Talk, we did a whole episode about drinking and I used it as an opportunity to fess up about my own patchy, shall we say, relationship with alcohol. It was deeply embarrassing, but also a huge relief to admit that in order to control my own thirst, I basically had to completely stop drinking. One of the things that I really notice as the sober person in the room now is how much people deny their own drinking. Renee O'Donnell is a research fellow at Monash University in Melbourne. She did a PhD looking at why young adults engage in risky drinking and how you can use your phone to work out ways to cut back. She also noticed that a lot of people do underestimate how much and how often they drink. You know what's really interesting as part of my research we developed an app and there was a self-monitoring component within that where the individuals were required to indicate and report how much alcohol they had consumed that day. And it was interesting to see how many underestimated at the outset of the study how much they drank. And when they engaged in the study, they were blown away by how much alcohol they were actually consuming. And it actually ended up being such a deterrent for them that that was a key factor that reduced the amount of alcohol they consumed. So I think unless you sort of are at the point where you're thinking about your drinking and you actually want to change, it's it's quite difficult to know how much you are consuming. You have to be quite mindful to that. It reminds me of those um, 
those speed cameras that don't actually connect to a, like a fine system, but they flash up on a big screen. So Absolutely. You, yeah, so yeah. it's like, what? I'm driving 60 in a 40 zone. Oh, my Absolutely. God. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so interesting. Yeah. Renee, why do some people engage in risky drinking and plenty of others don't? Research suggests that there is actually two factors. The first factor is context and the situation that somebody is exposed to. So what research tends to find is that when people are exposed to social type settings, so that being a location where it's like a party or a nightclub, but also importantly, other people are present who are also drinking, those factors, or I guess those ingredients really increase a person's likelihood of also engaging in risky drinking. And the second factor, which is really important, which is sometimes neglected, is actually how the person is feeling that day. There's a research term called affect, which looks at how you're feeling on a particular day. It's like a short-term mood. The way to think about it is, if a feeling is long-lasting, that's your mood. And if it's shorter, researchers call that affect. What's interesting here is that if your effect is up on a particular day and you feel supercharged, positive and over the moon, you're actually more likely to drink at a risky level. Renee says the same goes if your effect is down and if you're feeling kind of melancholy, bored or even angry. When you are feeling in those extreme levels, what tends to happen is you are less likely to self-regulate because your affect is so high and you are feeling that in a really strong manner. And so your mind in some ways is so focused on that feeling that it struggles then to regulate what your behaviours are. So if you've already kind of got that taxing factor going on and you also enter a context where it's, yes, I guess there's social pressure and and it's an environment that's very conducive to risky drinking, then you're less likely to be able to self-regulate because you're already sort of taxed with that high affective state. How much does automatic thinking play into how much you drink? So, you know, like it's Friday night, I've got to have a glass of wine with my mates at work kind of thinking. I think it's a really big factor. The thing is, and I guess what I'm talking about here, like context is so important. Like the environment you are in really influences your behaviour, particularly when it comes to drinking. And I think that context is very habitual. I mean, the situations we expose ourselves to and the context that we're in, they're very habitual. I mean, like what you just said, Friday night with drinks with friends, that's sort of a habit that you would probably have every single Friday night and you might go to the similar bars, similar places and you probably order the similar types of drinks as well. And a lot of that is habits that we have around this. And so part of reducing drinking and moderating drinking is obviously correcting and disrupting those habits surrounding what you do because remembering habits are just, you know, you're on autopilot. You're not actually giving due diligence to what you're doing. It's a habit. And so if we take the time to self-monitor and think about what are we doing and why are we doing it and how does that then affect our behaviour, that can be really, really powerful to actually correcting that behaviour down the track. Okay, so in my case, it meant that every time I went to see a band play, I'd have five or six beers and that was totally my habit. But working as a music reporter meant that I was going out to see bands most nights of the week. One birthday, I shouted myself a six-week yoga class subscription and I realised that every Thursday morning, without fail, when I went to this class, I was violently hungover. 
And in fact, I was violently hungover most weekdays and weekends, of course. But it wasn't until I started trying to do this yoga thing that I even actually noticed. For Jo Beck, who we heard from back in season one, the patterns of her drinking were revealing and confronting. Jo lives in a coastal town in New South Wales. She's working full-time and raising two kids, and for a long time, alcohol was how she coped with stress. You know, quite often I set out in the morning in the shower saying to myself, I'm not going to drink anything to drink tonight. And it sort of gets to about 4, 4.30 that I think, OK, I might just have one. Jo Beck and I are similar in a lot of ways. We both started drinking in our early teens. Jo's dad was an alcoholic. He supplied her first drink at a Chinese restaurant on her 14th birthday. And of course, at 14 years old, you're not sitting there sipping, thinking, oh, this is the first step into a destructive lifelong habit. No, you're just having fun, experimenting, and maybe feeling and enjoying being a bit naughty. But like me, Jo continued the habit well into adulthood. I asked her if her pregnancies made her reevaluate her relationship with booze. No, I think it wasn't until after sort of the sense of responsibility of becoming a parent. It was like, you know, I can't write myself off mm. and be like this. And that's when I started to notice it really wasn't anything at all in my life. And yet you still continued after that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess, the nature of addiction is that you really want to stop, but you find it very, very hard too. Yeah, I know. I know all about it, actually. So tell us where you're at now. What What is an average day like for you? Um, well, I don't drink every day, um, but on, on the days that I do drink, you know, quite often I sit out in the morning in the shower saying to myself, I'm not going to drink tonight. to drink tonight. Just watch TV with the kids or go for a run or do something else. And it sort of gets to about 4, 4.30 that I think, okay, I might just have one. You know, I had a really crap day at work today. I, you know, I'll drink and I'll go and get a bottle of wine and by 7.30 that bottle's gone. A lot of drinking I find happens at people's houses too. It's sort of yeah. a, a bit more private or something. Yeah. Yeah, well, for me, single mum, you know, most of the time when I drink, I'm at home alone. It's not like I I need somebody there, you know, but at the same time, if a girlfriend comes around with a bottle of wine, I I can't remember the last time I said, oh, I'm drinking tonight. Besides your pregnancies, what's the longest you've been without a drink? A month. Every, maybe not every year, every couple of years, I do like a dry July type thing. Mm. Yeah. And sleep better, I feel better, uh, my skin glows, I lose a little bit of weight, you know, you, you feel focused. It's like there, there's, there's not a single non-positive amongst <laughs> all of that it doesn't last any longer than that. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, can't wait till the first, come on, first of August, mm. here we go. And without a doubt, every single time I've done it, come the first of August, you know, I'm you know, 8am on the 2nd, without a doubt. It, that need to get drunk gets stronger, yeah. A lot of um, people with drinking problems talk about a rock-bottom moment, you know, when they sort of, they, they're like, God, I don't know if I can recover from the damage that I've done, either like social damage or spiritual damage. You know, for me, 
sleeping with someone, you know, someone gross that I never would have slept with if I was sober. That's that, that was a measure for me. I mean, I'm married now, so that that was pre-marriage, but you know, could you describe one of the worst rock bottom moments that you've had with your drinking? Well, I I was sort of semi-dating this guy and we decided to meet. He lived sort of away from Port Macquarie. So we decided to meet in Foster, which was about halfway between him and I. And, you know, he booked a hotel and we both got quite drunk and sort of went out for dinner. And sort of over dinner, he sort of had just basically said to me that dating women, you know, at our age, women just throw themselves at him. And of course, I was repelled. Mm. But I was too drunk to drive the car home and I was an hour away from Port Macquarie and I was basically stuck in this hotel room with this man and I, I remember thinking, what, oh, you know, I'm, I'm too old and too intelligent to be in a situation like this. I sort of had to wait until I'd sobered up and I, I just slept on the lounge and sort of waited until about four or five in the morning, got up. So, yeah, that, that's just one. There have been plenty of occasions where, like even being really hungover the next day and vomiting in the shower and the kids coming in and, and lying to the kids about, you know, why. And you just think, you know, what sort of a parent am I? What sort of a person am I that, you know, this, this happens? It's been about a year since we first spoke to Joe, and since then, a lot has changed. I haven't had a drink since the 14th of June 2017. It's almost like I'm a, it's a new version of me, uh, a much better version of me. I think you drink to cover emotional pain or to make you feel better. It either stops you from feeling or makes you feel good. Once I sort of gave that up, it was really hard. It was really emotional. I had to deal with lots of the things that you know, I'd been trying to suppress, but I feel so much better for it. It's been a really hard journey, probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, but it's totally been worth it. Jo's been to AA and her life is infinitely better because she stopped drinking. So I've gone from, you know, waking up in the morning and getting in the shower and being on the bottom of the shower floor, vomiting and cursing myself and feeling guilty and promising myself that I won't drink again. You know, to last weekend, the kids and I went away from the weekend. We actually went and watched the sunrise and it was beautiful and went out for breakfast. There was no seediness. There was no queasiness. It's not just the physical symptoms that have disappeared. It's, you know, it's this absolute connection with my children again, which benefits not only me, but benefits them. It's really nice to sit down at breakfast really early in the morning, which would have never, ever happened, and and just be present with them. Yeah. I guess for anyone that's worried about their drinking, that's, you know, questioning whether they are drinking too much or wondering sort of why they can't stop at one or why they can't have alcohol-free days when they really intend to, I think you just, you, you really need to listen to that voice and accept it. I think with addiction, you can't, 
You can't deny it. I think the first stage of sort of getting any sort of help is acknowledging that there might be a problem and not to fear it. I think the fear eats you up more than than anything can. So once you sort of get past that fear and acknowledge that there's a problem, there are lots of different ways to to get help. You know, AA was just one thing for me. That there's lots of different ways and. You know, once I acknowledged that I had a problem to my family and a close friend, everybody came out of the woodwork to help me. I was so scared that people were going to judge me and, you know, or out me or not want me to be in their lives anymore. But it was the complete opposite. The minute I acknowledged that there was a problem, I got the help that I needed um, and it was also like when I turned around to my sister, who I'm very close to, to say, you know, I, I've got a problem with alcohol and I thought I was telling her something she didn't know. She knew. My kids knew. My mum knew. Everybody knew. It was just me that didn't know and I can almost guarantee that if anyone out there is questioning the way that they drink, they're not the only person, that you've got friends and family that are concerned too. Let's get back to this grey area of drinking. Joe and I might have sat at one end of the spectrum, but the majority of people are more moderate grey area drinkers. So why are they having a drink in the first place? Researcher Sally Hunt has looked specifically into why women drink. You know, I think we've all, or many of us, have mm. had an experience of going, oh, I just need a drink. And we know what that feels like when we've had a stressful day and we have a drink and we feel better and we think, yep, that's what I needed, that hit the spot. Sally says some women tend to drink because we've got heaps to do and alcohol becomes a coping mechanism just to get through it all. I try not to um, pontificate about, you know, well, you should do this and you should do that because I'm not the expert in that person's life. Mm. And I think people respond well when we say, yeah, I can see that you've got 15 different roles that you're working in. You're a mother, you're a daughter, you're a sister, you've got a job, you've got a partner, you've got other responsibilities that you're looking after. Of course you're overwhelmed. And alcohol, it sounds like, is one of the things that you might be using to cope with that overwhelm. What other tools have you got in your toolkit? And if we think about when is alcohol problematic, I'd be thinking about people who say, oh, actually, I don't have many other tools in my toolkit. Right. Alcohol's about it. Or I'm finding that I'm depending on alcohol more and more, or I'm using alcohol to cope with those stresses more and more. When we see that narrowing of interests and activities and resources and coping styles, then I'm starting to wonder if alcohol's becoming a problem. I've heard it explained, you know, you've had a really rough day and then you just want to switch into calm down mode, particularly if the mm. kids have gone to sleep, right? So you've finally got them off to bed. The fastest way you can get into relaxation mode is to have a drink. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most common reasons for drinking that I hear women talk about. That sense of, I don't have too many pleasures in my life. I've worked all day or I've been at home with the kids. They're finally in bed. I've got a, a skerrick of me time before it all starts again. Mm. And having a drink's a really um, convenient, easy. And I would dare say having one or two drinks every afternoon is a fairly socially acceptable way for women to unwind. Sally, have you got thoughts on why mothers in particular are so vulnerable to excessive drinking? I think we've got a generation at the moment who are absolutely at this junction between having been raised seeing women drinking around them and thinking, oh, okay, drinking's okay, drinking's something that I can do without too many 
immediate social problems. I can go into a pub and order a drink and no one looks at me sideways. Mm. And now they're, they're in this new role of motherhood, perhaps, where they're then finding all these pressures and stresses. And you need go no further than Facebook to see those memes with images of, you know, mummy's little helper and Mother's Day gifts that are bottles of wine themed around motherhood Mm. and and all of these sorts of messages, which are saying to women, not only is it acceptable for you to drink, in fact, you deserve it. And it's the only coping strategy a lot of people are exposed to. Um, And I can appreciate somebody being at home, they're maybe geographically stuck. They can't leave the kids in bed and go go for a walk or go and do something else. They may have financial pressures where drinking is a reasonably inexpensive way of coping with with the other stresses that they have. And so it seems like a fairly obvious and, unfortunately, socially acceptable way for them to cope. Mm. From my personal experience, you can still parent while you're drinking too. So you, mm. you're sort of still working. You're basically still at the grindstone and rewarding yourself at the same time, you know, And, you know, our society judges women so harshly for so many things that sometimes you wonder, how can can you win? You know, have you got everything organised for the next day? Have you provided a nutritious, balanced meal for your children? Have you Hmm. thought about the long-term consequences of everything that you're saying and doing? Have you provided for them financially? It's it's this overwhelming cloud of um, worries and concerns that, that a number of women carry because I truly believe that the women I talk to anyway are doing the best they can Mm. and they're trying so hard to please, they're squeezed (laughs) from every side. Um, And as you said, they can drink. They can drink while they're cooking dinner. They can drink while the kids are in the bath. It's convenient and it's easy and it's something that they can do at home without judgment. Tell me about this thing uh, about how you get women to talk about the amount that they drink. It's really important that people don't feel judged. So coming at those conversations from a position of respect and empathy and appreciation for what the person you're speaking with is going through. A a little trick that I've used in the past is to ask people to go home, get the, the wine glass that you would typically drink from, Fill it to the level you'd typically fill it with water mm-hmm. and then tip that into a measuring jug and see how much you're actually pouring each time you pour a drink. And without fail, women would come back the next session and say, I had no idea. That was one and a half, two, sometimes more standard drinks in their typical glass, what they were thinking of as one drink. Yeah, if you ordered a glass of wine at a restaurant and they poured you 100 mils, you'd look yeah. at it and go, hey, you're <laughs> where's ri- the rest? Yeah, you're ripping me off. Sally, can I ask you a personal question? Do you drink yourself? Occasionally. I, uh, I don't drink a lot. I actually have migraines. So I find if I have more than two glasses of wine, I've got a migraine by the end of the second glass. But I tell you what I do, mm. which I can recognise with small kids, <laughs> is in the same ballpark is I eat chocolate. Ah. And the kids go to bed and I'm like, where's the chocolate? <laughs> but it's the, the thinking around that is the same. It's I need, a, for me anyway, it's mm. a little bit of me. Yeah. I'm going to carve out a bit of me out of this day that has been dedicated to everybody else mm-hmm. and all of the other responsibilities. And you're going to carve um, a big hole in that lint. Oh, exactly. Exactly. A big me-shaped <laughs> hole in that t- in that packet of scorched almonds. In a way, I'm the worst person to be talking about alcohol moderation because I was a fantastic drinker. No, it's true. I was the best. I had such a great time and I could really put it away and I was hilarious and sexy and amazingly fun and my dancing was incredible and everyone wanted to have sex with me because I was brilliant. And then I had to quit completely because I was also a raging asshole and it messed with my brain. But there are plenty of people out there who don't have to go full sober. 
Obviously, those people are complete raging assholes as well, okay, but they just prove that it is possible to be moderate. On moderation, here's some advice from Renee, the research fellow from Monash University in Melbourne. The first thing is to make a goal about drinking and how much they want to drink on a particular evening. So what I always recommend people do is say they've got an upcoming event and they're a little bit mindful about not exceeding a certain amount of um, number of alcoholic beverages. What I always encourage um, people to do is to set a tangible goal in terms of consumption. So let's say that they don't want to have any more than four standard drinks in that evening. And what I also recommend people do is make that goal as detailed as possible because research shows the more detailed and specific, um, the goal is the more likely you are to meet that goal. And I would even make it about hourly. So it might be eight o'clock, you want to have your first drink and you want to finish by say no later than 12.30. And then the second thing I recommend people do is that in the context, they self-monitor how much that they are consuming. And there are so many tools out there that enable you to do that. And I would really highly recommend people do that in an objective way as in they don't rely on their own checking system because obviously alcohol sometimes skews our views and we might forget how many beverages we've consumed. There's a myriad of apps there that can help you. I mean, you can even be as simple as having your notes in your iPhone or your Android phone and you can record it there. But self-monitoring how many drinks that you've had and the times that you had will help you to see how close or far away you are from meeting that goal and whether you need to start slowing down at a certain time. The third thing, and this is actually what people sometimes fail to do, and this is probably what I would say one of the most important factors to moderating alcohol use, and it is having a strategy or a plan in play to reduce consumption in the moments at which you want to stop. So what tends to happen is individuals or women, they might go into a situation and have a predetermined idea of how many drinks they want to have. They might have that goal. They might even self-monitor. But then the tricky thing is they're in that environment and somebody offers them a drink or somebody, you know, is really encouraging them to sort of get on it and get quite loose for that evening. And they don't have something to respond to. So I always encourage people to be prepared and have something that they can respond to that will reduce reduce the questioning from that person. And a personal preference that I like to use is that I'm driving that evening because what I tend to find is that shifting the focus away from that evening and moving it into like a future event really stops people from just focusing on that and they think, okay, well, she's not just focused on tonight, she's also she's going to drive um, and it's also dangerous for her to drive so, you know, I don't want to be that person who's, who's encouraging her to do something risky. Let's put ourselves into a scenario then you've got friends coming over and you're going to maybe cook some dinner and hang out together right the next morning you've got stuff to do so on that night your friends are over you're in a safe place you love each other what sort of script can you tell yourself to make sure that you have no more than say three drinks the script that i would have or i would encourage a person to to be thinking through is um coming back to basics, why do I only want to have three drinks tonight? And usually what we find as well is is when people are at the stage where they are wanting to monitor uh, monitor their alcohol use and reduce it, it's not so much about these short-term factors. You know, it's not so much about going for that run the next day, but it also sort of starts to generalise to their control with alcohol in general. And I think making it about that sort of bigger piece in your life and the importance of that um, and, and having that run through your mind during that 
dinner party would hopefully be a really strong way um, to keep you in check with your goal and your objective for that evening. What about your environment? What can you do to your own environment to reduce how much you drink? The first thing is if, you know, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I think reducing the amount of alcohol that you actually have in the household is important and specifically reducing the amount of alcohol that you might drink on your own or at dinner or something like that is important. Again, it's changing that habit. I totally know what you mean. Beer was my poison. Mm-hmm. So if I had cold beers in the fridge, I was, you know, that would mean I would drink them. Whereas, you know, a bottle of scotch in the cupboard I wouldn't tempt me in the slightest. Would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there are a few apps out there to reduce your drinking. Can apps be useful in reducing how, how much you drink and how do they work? I, I definitely think they can be. And I think that what apps actually do is they provide a pathway for people to seek some help without going to a health professional, which might be a really, really big step for somebody and require a lot, a lot, a lot of confidence that a lot of people may not just have. And so apps provide that pathway without in some ways having to face up to that stigma and that that sort of um, the negative connotations that that a problematic drinker has for themselves. And I think that what the apps do is they, again, they help to self-monitor the individual, but they in some ways start to open up that conversation about having an issue with drinking. I think that as a society in Australia, we all like to have a you know a drink and engage in that sort of banter with over a couple of glasses of wine or whatever it might be. Um, but the conversation tends to stop there and we don't tend to open it up to the dialogue of I'm having a bit of a problem cutting down or just reducing Reducing my use. And I think what apps also nicely do is that they start to open up that conversation. And in some ways, they start to normalize the conversation around how to reduce and how to cut back without all that shame and stigma. Yeah, it starts to really normalize that conversation. Yeah, I used Hello Sunday morning when I was quitting drinking and it re- it made me feel better because I could, I could tell how other people took it seriously. So I Definitely. was allowed to take it seriously. Definitely. Yeah. I can't help but think that everybody's got at least one enabler in their life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean when I say that? The person who just really normalises drinking and encourages you to kind of match their consumption? Definitely, yep. I mean, for those people, I guess there's a couple of things. The first things is if you have somebody who is an enabler and you think that they've got, you know, a bit of a drinking problem, I mean, it's a very, very difficult topic, I think, to bring up with people. People are very ashamed to admit that they have a drinking problem. We do have that stigma. But I think that there are ways in which you can introduce a topic without offending somebody. I mean, you could even make it about yourself and say, you know, I'm, I'm on this new app or I've just started this new program or, you know, even a dry July or whatever it might be. And you could even just start to open the conversation about how you yourself um, might be changing or adapting your drinking behaviours, which hopefully starts that conversation between you and the enabler. And they might actually start to open up about their own drinking. I think the second thing that is really important though, is that if you do have those enablers in your life, that they don't influence 
influence what objectives that you want to meet. As difficult as it is, you still have to be really true to yourself. And if moderating your alcohol use is something that you want to achieve, then it needs to be at the forefront of your mind, irrespective if the person on the receiving end is, is going to feel like, well, well, you know, you're not coming to the party. I think it's important to be to be confident in that and be strict with that. And again, have a pre-planned response. And if they're a true friend, then, you know, they, sh- they should really be on board with you doing something so proactive for your health and well-being. Yay! Let's all raise our glasses and say cheers to that. Just kidding. But I do want to tell you that being honest with my friends and saying, I really don't want to go into that gorgeous wine bar, can we go somewhere else and get cake and coffee instead? Being able to say things like that really helped me. It's classic ladies we need to talk stuff. We're being frank and vulnerable about this awkward thing has made life better for me in the long run. And hey, just so you know, the national guidelines for alcohol consumption in Australia say if you have any more than two standard drinks a day, it's risky to your health. Not just it'll turn you into a loudmouth horn dog, it is actually risky to your health. It increases your risk of heart disease, brain damage, liver disease, and a whole range of cancers, including breast cancer. So if you're thinking you want to cut down or quit completely like I did, Hello Sunday Morning's app is now called Daybreak and it's funded by the Australian government. There's also one called Replace It, that's one word, Replace It, from Deakin University. And if you go to eclipse.org.au, there are a couple of really great evidence-based interventions to help you reduce how much you drink. Eclipse only officially services two parts of New South Wales, but all ladies listeners can access the service by mentioning Ladies We Need to Talk in the contact form on the Eclipse website, and the team at the University of Newcastle will get you access. Good news! All of the resources I've just mentioned are totally free, and we've put them in our show notes for you. If you do try cutting back or quitting, let us know. We always really want to hear from you on 1300 641 2. And remember, you can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. And if you do have any feedback or thoughts on this episode, you can send us an email at ladies at abc.net.au. This episode was mixed by Isabella Tropiano with music production by Martin Peralta and Timothy Jenkins. It's produced by Cassandra Steep. Supervising producer is Madeleine Jenner and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. Hey, before you go, ladies, there's a great new podcast that you might be into. It's called Parental As Anything. Maggie Dent's the host. She's an awesome parenting expert. The podcast has just launched. So if you're in that parenting space, you should totally get amongst it. Maggie joins us today. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Yumi. Now, you cover really helpful parenting stuff in the podcast, you know, useful, applicable info, how to be the best parent you can be, but also this is the bit I like, how to give yourself permission to just be like a little bit shit sometimes. Absolutely. I think one of the things we find is parents are just too hard on themselves that I start most of my seminars reassuring everyone I might have four amazing sons that are pretty good dads at the moment, but gee whiz, I did some crap things to them. I have been known to take the wrong boy home from a birthday party. That was really embarrassing. (laughs) 
I just was, some random kid. Yeah, they saw jumped in the back of my bus because I had to have a bus, <laughs> had so many children. Um, and I've I've left one at the pool, which technically I keep saying Dad thought I had him and he thought Dad had him. And and I also forgot book week. Now that's just, well, that's the biggest crime for mothers today, isn't oh, it? No, they should put you in mummy jail for that. <laughs> okay, well, that's great. I feel reassured because there's so much pressure on us to be perfect, isn't there? Enormous. And us girls are always wanting to upgrade our performance in everything we do. So I worry that we are too hard on ourselves and we lay awake at night going, God, they didn't eat broccoli and, God, jingies, how do I do that better? Whereas sometimes developmentally normal things are melting, meltdowns, tantrums and argumentative teens that slow, slam the door in your face. You know, all of these things are kind of bit, a bit normal. Okay. Great. I feel reassured already. If you want to be reassured, check it out. It's called Parental as Anything. You can get it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.